Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. It's official. Trump's vowing a comeback, but the reaction has been a mixed bag. NTD's Iris Tao has more on what Republicans are saying. America's comeback starts right now. President Trump has officially announced his bid for the 2024 presidential election, while making clear that he sees himself as the best option for the GOP nomination. This is not a task for a politician or a conventional candidate. This is a task for a great movement. Meanwhile, Republicans are giving mixed reactions. On one hand, there are those voicing support, including Senator Lindsey Graham, who responded to Trump's speech by saying, quote, if Trump continues this tone, he will be hard to beat. Other Trump allies, such as Representative Troy Nels from Texas and Andy Biggs from Arizona, are also backing Trump, calling him the leader of the Republican Party. But there are others who sound more iffy. I think we'll have better choices in the future. I'll support the Republican nominee, uh, but I don't know that it will be him. That says some Republicans outright reject Trump's candidacy, with retiring Maryland Governor Larry Hogan saying it is time to turn the page. And there are others whose reactions are interesting to watch. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was asked about Trump's bid shortly before Trump announced it. While DeSantis avoided naming Trump, he said the following. You had situations where these independent voters aren't voting for our candidates, even with Biden uh, in the White House and the failures that we're seeing. You know, that, that's, the, that's a problem. And so Florida, I think, really shows the blueprint uh, of what you can do to not only win, uh, but really fundamentally change the, the, the overall political terrain in a very strong pro-freedom direction. Trump, meanwhile, said this last night about unity. We're going to unify people, and what was bringing them together was success. Meanwhile, Trump acknowledged that some are blaming him for the GOP's disappointing performance in the midterms, but he responded by touting the overall success rate of his endorsement, adding that in two years, Americans will vote differently after feeling the pain the country is going through. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Aris Tao, NTD News. Last night, I was at Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence when he announced his plan to run for president again in 2024. Kash Patel was part of the president's national security team. He was also there on site last night when the president made his announcement, and we're happy to have him on to discuss. Kash Patel, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be with you. Cash, we were both uh, at the event last night uh, where the former president made his announcement. What struck you most about the uh, former president's uh, speech? Um, I think what struck me and Americans the most is the forward-looking vision um, and solutions offered to the problems that are plaguing America now. And me as a national security, defense, and law enforcement guy, you know, resonated with the uh, the invasion at our, at, our, at our southern border, the influx of Chinese fentanyl killing 100,000 of our youth, the narco traffickers, the human trafficking, and how we can put an end to that. Also, what struck me was the, the stance on the economy and the positions the former president took on taking on Russia, and specifically China and the CCP, and how they have come and dominated American diplomacy and the American economy these last two years. And so I thought President Trump's uh, forward-looking vision on those solutions was uh, very uh, powerful to a uh, voting bloc that he was speaking to. Cass, do you draw any parallels from the 2016 campaign 
uh, leading up to his first election and this one? And what new challenges do you think he faces uh, moving forward? You know, that's a great point. I do, actually. I think he sort of rewound the tape a little bit uh, when he was coming into the uh, arena in 2015, 2016. And he was talking to an American populace that didn't really know them. I think that's the only distinction. Now they know him and have four years of his presidency. So what he was telling them, though, was, hey, Amer he wasn't saying America is all bad and there's nothing good and you know don't listen to anything I have to say. He was saying, this is how I'm going to fix it. I'm going to take on Xi Jinping. I'm going to tell him to stop pouring fentanyl into America. He was speaking to our men and women in uniform who were forced to choose between taking a COVID jab versus their faith and how he would reinstate them immediately with back pay. These are issues that resonate. One of the most powerful things he said was something that I have never heard a presidential candidate say, or at least can recall. He wants to implement term limits for everyone in Congress, which I personally am for. But I think many Americans find powerful movements like that refreshing and new and attach it immediately to the theme of his speech last night, which was going in and draining the swamp and getting rid of the corruption um, in government. There's obviously a lot of talk about Ron DeSantis, a little bit of a dust up a couple weeks ago. Um, what, what mm -hmm. do you make of uh, all the buzz? You know, I think that's politics. That's just always going to be the case, especially when you have you know, a former president who's seeking the, the, the presidency yet again and a possible presidential candidacy by Ron DeSantis himself. And, and um, those two are at the top of the Republican Party. Uh, there aren't any others that are near them. And so they're always going to, in the media at least, get squared off. Will they eventually actually square off? I'm not sure. Will there be a detente of some sorts? I really don't know. The one thing I've learned in politics is you can never actually know what's going to happen until it happens. Cash, before I let you go, um, what impact do you think the DOJ investigation might have on his uh, candidacy, and what direction do you see this going? Uh, yeah, you know, look, as a former federal prosecutor, um, you know, who's been away from it for a little bit, speaking generally, I don't know how it plays now that he's a presidential candidate. Are the rules different? Do they apply different? There are very few people in America, even former federal prosecutors, that can answer that question because I just don't know that it's been done in recent time or around the same subject matter. I know we have Nixon um, in a certain fashion to a certain degree, but I think this is uh, unique territory, and I think the DOJ and FBI owe it to the American people to stop the hyper-partisan games and corruption that they have been um, executing these last couple of years, that's my opinion, and in order to restore the faith to the law enforcement system that I spent so much time in, uh, they owe uh, America a corruption-free, fact-based answer, and, and hopefully they'll give us that. Kash Patel, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Unintentional injuries are the leading cause of death for millennials. That's adults aged around 25 to 44. The death rate for this age group has been on the rise for nearly a decade, but it's recently spiked in blacks, whites, and Hispanics. This is according to new data from the CDC. The agency is reporting that death from unintentional injuries and heart disease has increased. Death from unintentional injuries includes drug overdoses. If you've been to cities like San Francisco or Los Angeles, you've probably noticed the homeless encampments lining the streets in downtown areas. You'll find that even right here in the nation's capital of Washington, D.C.
Now, why is homelessness such a serious problem in major cities? Well, to discuss the crisis, we sat down with Robert Marbot. Marbot is a homelessness consultant and a filmmaker who also served as the executive director of the U.S. Intra-Agency Council on Homelessness from 2019 to 2021. Take a look. Robert Marbet, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us, appreciate it. Robert, I wanna ask you, homelessness has obviously been an issue uh, going back forever, but it seems to be a growing problem throughout our country. Um, why is that? Well, the irony, and I've had the great privilege of working with several presidents, and the irony was homelessness had actually been dropping. It, it pre-2013, not a big amount, but just a nice steady drop. And then in the second term of the Obama administration, they adopted a program called Housing First, which really is we give you a free house, we give you free food, we give you free transportation, and you don't have to do anything for it. That's literally what Housing First means. We give you a house first. And since then, we've stopped treating uh, medical mental illness, which I consider a medical issue. I, I consider diseases below the neck and above the neck we should be treated the same. We stopped treating substance use disorders and we, we stopped focusing on getting jobs. And so, and right now more than any time ever, we could have many people employed and we're, we don't. And it's because of this policy that says we give you a free housing voucher and you don't have to do anything for it. Yet, think about Department of Education, you know, a Pell Grant. If you get a Pell Grant, you, we give you the Pell Grant, but we require you to attend class, we require you to have a GPA, and we require you to finish a certain period of time. But we don't do that with homelessness vouchers. And ever since 2013, the numbers have just, just started to skyrocket. And it's directly tied to, to our federal policies. You're not commenting on this from the uh, C-suite level. You're, you're, you're on the uh, ground, you've been across the country, you see this uh, firsthand. What is driving this? You, meant to, you mentioned men, mental illness. Um, is there a drug element, an uh, opioid element as well? But it, it, if you ask in a one-sentence soundbite, what is homelessness in America? It's untreated mental illness with co-presenting substance use disorders. It's that simple. Let's not make it more complicated than it is. Let's don't make it a civil rights, civil liberty, or any of this other stuff. Let's, let's focus on the clinical nature of what's happened. And there's sort of a myth on the street that it's recreational drug use. It, 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 I don't see that. I, I, I see a little bit of it, but that's not the big majority. Most is self-medicating. And in the two biggest drugs on the street, and I've been on the road for the last two weeks do it, shooting a documentary, and so we've been out going all over the place, and it's fentanyl and meth now. Those are your top two drugs on the street. And, and it's just rampant on the West Coast. What would you say is one of the, I guess, fundamental ways to go about resolving this homelessness crisis? Before you ask for a dime more, don't, don't, don't spend any more. Let's start spending the money we have right first. And what we know is if you treat the mental illness, if you treat the substance use, and then you focus on job placement, do those three things, that dramatically reduces homelessness. So that's what we should do first. Before we, a lot of people say, well, we need more money and we need Congress to allocate. Congress has spent 300% more money than it did 12 years ago. So this is not an issue of money. This is the issue of bad federal policy. So does it really just go back to attacking the mental illness and the drug abuse first and getting people on the right track before giving them a house where they can essentially not be productive members of society? 
you're spot on. That's exactly right. You absolutely have to get uh, the treatment for the mental health and the substance use in order for housing to stick. Remember, people had housing first. They already had housing, and they lost the housing because of the mental illness, substance use, and, and loss of the job. So they had housing first. Now they've lost it, and so we gotta, if, if you give person back in, it's going. The, the other problem, separate from just the overall homeless number in, in California, the death rate has doubled in the last uh, 24 months because of their program. They're doing a thing called Project Home Key and Room Key, which is an extreme form of housing first, and we put you into a hotel that is bought or a motel that's bought with no services, no treatment, and the key is you have to have required treatment services. Just like we require somebody to have a Pell Grant to attend class and have a GPA, we know that works, and in the homelessness world, we're not doing that anymore, and so it is not working. Robert Marbet, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.